I uh, never know what to do during those. Do I like dance or just stand up there? Anyway, uh, I'm Daniel Wagner. I'm the student pastor here, and uh, it's really a privilege for me to be here with you guys today talking about this. We're uh, keeping our series going, Will God Come Through? The question we've all asked, something we all wonder. Men in our hard times, when our back's against the wall, when life doesn't go like we wish it would, will God come through? And today, really excited for us together to look at this as we continue to really sprint through this book of 1 Kings, this question, will God come through when I feel abandoned? Ty just said in his prayer, God, sometimes we feel like we are standing on sinking sand, right, that life sometimes slips away from us, like we don't know what's going on, and if God is there, will he come through? So uh, to start this off, a story about being abandoned, which is different than being lost, right? Uh, you guys probably might not realize this from looking at me, but we are in Mississippi. Uh, I wore my Carhartt shirt to validate this story today for you guys. I grew up in a family that hunted the great white-tailed deer, as most of us do in Mississippi, uh, doing our part as conservationists. So I was in a stand on a lovely December day a couple years ago, uh, as is the custom. Seemed like a great day to hunt. Normal Mississippi December day, high of 70, low of 27, so uh, ready in the stand, dressed in a couple of different outfits, ready to go. And uh, the land that I was able to hunt on that day is great, uh, but it's, it's a lot of land, and because there's a lot of land, there are a lot of stands. If you guys are hunters, uh, anybody in the room, you know, man, sometimes you go to a stand in a place and you have no clue how you got there, which way is up, and how you're going to get out. Now, the people there, they're really confident. They're like, hey, man, yeah, you know, you just climb out and you follow these little little pink little things that are tied to the trees, and then you look and everything's pink, right? All these things came out of nowhere. You don't know where you're going or how you got there. So I'm up in the stand, and the message I get is, I will pick you up at dark. Well, I should have specified because dark is pretty relative, Right? I mean, is this dark dark? Is this about to be dark? Is this kind of dark? Is this pitch black dark? I don't really know. So I'm in the stand, and uh, you know, when I don't see anything, don't see anything worth shooting at, I climb my way down, and I think, all right, it's time for me to get picked up. And uh, the temperature starts to drop, and it begins to continue to be what I thought was dark, and I felt abandoned in this place, in this maze of pink flags that meant nothing to me, all alone, by myself. Now, eventually, the person that was supposed to pick me up came here. That's why I'm here today, and I didn't freeze out there in the middle of nowhere. But the, the thing is, being abandoned is different than being lost, right? When you're lost, you just straight up, you have no idea where you are. But being abandoned implies that someone was supposed to come through for you, and they didn't. And that's how we can feel in faith sometimes, Right? My guy was supposed to pick me up at dark. My definition of dark. Dark. And that's how we are with God sometimes. God, I know you're going to come through for me, but when? I feel abandoned. So today, this is not a question of, is God there? But this is a question of, God, if you're there, do you care? That's what we're looking at today. God, if you are there, then do you care because I feel abandoned? And God, in the hard things of my life, will you come through? We are people in this room that are fallen, imperfect, trying to figure out how to live a life to follow Jesus. 
But we're not the first to ask this question. We're not the last to ask this question. People of all worldviews, all faiths will ask, if there is a God, does he really care about what's going on? Here's a quote that we're going to put on the screen. I love this. Uh, God is asleep at the wheel and humanity is locked in the trunk. You're probably expecting me to tell you that this is from some deep philosopher. Um, This is from Grey's Anatomy, which somehow is still on TV. I don't understand. God's asleep at the wheel and humanity is locked in the trunk. So if something as profound as evening television can philosophize this sentiment, we all feel it. People who know Jesus and people who don't. There's a feeling that while God might love you, while God might have saved you, that sometimes he just leaves us off alone by ourselves. The Bible itself expresses this very thought. Psalm 44. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? And that's how we feel. That God, he's there, we know he loves us, we know he's for us, but sometimes in the middle of life, man, things are just so hard, we don't know if he's going to come through. A hero of the faith, who we all know, ooh, sorry, that's going to sound bad on the audio. I kicked something over for everyone listening online. Um, a hero of the faith, who, though we might disagree on some minor theological points, one Mother Teresa said this about an own dark season in her life. Towards the end of her life, she was engaged in a work, trying to solidify her legacy, set things up to keep going as she was approaching death, soon to be with the Lord. She wrote this to some people that she loved that was later published sometimes after her death. This is what she said. The longing for God is terribly painful. And yet the darkness is becoming greater. What contradiction there is in my soul. The pain within is so great. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. In the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The one that you've thrown away is unwanted. Unloved, I call, I cling. I want, there's no one to answer. No one to whom I can cling. No one alone. The darkness is so dark, and I am alone. Before I used to get such help and consolation from spiritual direction, but from the time that this work has started, nothing. So if that is Mother Teresa who most of us would consider a hero of the faith, then how much more are you and I in our difficult times prone to feel as if God has left us? And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe there's some opportunity in your life that you feel like you've been wrongfully passed up for. Maybe there's some estranged family in your life that has truly abandoned you. And because they've left you, you feel like God's left you. Maybe it's an illness that won't go away or a promise that you feel like God gave you that he hasn't given you yet. 
I don't know what it is, but we all wrestle with this. God, have you abandoned me? And we see a great response to this in the life of Elijah. So if you have your Bible today, we're going to 1 Kings. We're hopping around a little bit, but 1 Kings 17 is where we start. In 17.1, and uh, as you guys know, in the life of Elijah, Elijah's a prophet. Uh, his primary clash is with Baal. It's what we're about to get into in a second. Um, this false god that existed in the Palestinian region. And here's what 1 Kings 17.1 says. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So this is the primary action of Elijah. When we read the story of Elijah, if you're familiar with it, this is probably what you're thinking of, that there was a great drought in the land of Israel. Because the kings of Israel, after a split that we talked about a couple of weeks ago when Robert preached about, will God come through when I need wisdom? After the kingdoms divided into Israel, into the north and Judah and the south, there were bad kings in Israel. And the worst of all up to this point was this king Ahab. He married, uh, apparently, this hot little thing named Jezebel. Uh, you know, my wife and I are expecting a baby uh, probably at the end of the month, August 1st uh, is the official due date, but Jezebel is not on the name list for us. Um, shocking, right? Jezebel Wagner kind of has a ring, but uh, no one names their children that. If you are named that, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, it, it's because she has sort of become, in our culture, just the epitome of an evil woman. Because what happened was she was not from Israel. She did not worship the true God. Instead, she worshiped um, this guy right here that we're about to put up on the screen. Baal of Phoenicia. Um, you got that picture? It's the little, mm-hmm. Yep, hang on. Unless it's not there. I can do the pose that he's doing. Um, if it's not there, it's not a big deal. Don't worry, Trip. Uh, Baal of Phoenicia, I was going to show you a really crude image because it's not coming up. Uh, anyway, it's that bad. It wouldn't even show up on the screen. It's a little hand-molded thing. Anyway, uh, Baal, a false god. So look, this guy was a false god that promised fertility. And as you know, Israel was very dependent on farming because in that day, if you did not grow food, you did not eat food. Somehow food just magically appears for us, but the primary need of Israel in that day was food. So, they prayed to this little false god, Baal, this fertility god that would bring the dew and the rain that was so important for the land. So Baal had so captured the hearts of the Israelites that God raised up this man, Elijah. And he said, hey, look, you think that this guy is the one who gives you rain? You think that this guy is the one who takes care of you? Well, guess what? It's not going to rain. We learn later it didn't rain for three and a half years because God withheld the rain. So that's the context for where we go next. We're jumping ahead to verse 8, where Elijah gets sent. Oh, there he is. <laughs> right? That guy, he's got real power, real power. Uh, cool, here we go. So the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, and he says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I might drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and he said, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. 
And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. So uh, this, yeah, let's go there. Thanks. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So we find this widow who in that day, if you've been around church for a while, a student of the Bible, you would know that widows are the weakest of the weak, the neediest of the neediest, because they are not able to work and typically unmarriable. So they have no way to provide for themselves. And this woman is also affected by this drought that's in the land. So we have this picture of this woman with her back against the wall who desperately needs help. And in comes this guy, Elijah, who she would see as a man of God, a man who represents the true God, that even though she's not in Israel, probably not a worshiper of God, very familiar with who God is and the truth of who he is. Here goes Elijah, being a typical preacher, sets the way for all of us, uh, always wanting something, right? So he says, hey, bring me a cup of water. And as he goes, uh, she goes and gets a cup of water for him, he is wanting some more, just like a typical preacher, and says, hey, while you got that, why don't you bring me something to eat too? And she says, I don't have any food. I don't even have food for myself. My son and I are so destitute. We're so lonely. We're so bad off. We feel so abandoned that we're going to eat what little we have, and then we're going to starve to death. This lady, with her back against the wall, is questioning why the sky would ask for something, for anything. You can feel it in the tone of her voice. She is uh, what the kids nowadays are saying, over it, beyond over it. She's just ready to die because her life has been hard. And she's lost all sense of hope, feeling abandoned. Literally abandoned by the person who died and left her as a widow, and abandoned by whatever deity was supposed to be benevolent, good, and taking care of her. And Elijah steps into the scene, and he's going to provide for her with what the true God has for her. Now here's what I want to say before we move on, because I think this establishes the tension for us as we move forward. That when people really lose their faith in God, what they really do is lose their faith in a false God or a false projection of God. And I think that's what we're guilty of, right? When we feel like God's abandoned us, when we feel like God's let us down, often what happens is we have this picture of God that's untrue of who he really is, right? We have uh, this God that we've made in our own image and not the truth of who God is. We want God to operate in our universe and in our ways, where God's working things bigger than what we can really see. So when God doesn't deliver on our timeline, on our expectation, we feel like he's left us, when really he's doing something bigger than what we can see, which is the story of this widow. So we'll keep going. Here we go. And Elijah said to her, do not fear Go and do as you've said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. 
And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of our Lord that he spoke by Elisha. So she said, look, I'm done. This is it. Whatever God is out there, he's left me, abandoned me, doesn't care, is not there. So I'm just going to die. Me and my son, we're going to die. And Elijah says, hey, listen, do this. God's going to provide for you if you do this. Bring me something first. Bring me something first. Now that's weird, right? I know I've made two preacher asking for money jokes, but here's the third, right? He's asking for even more. And we wonder, right? Like, why? Why would he do this? Can he not see, can God not see that this woman is past the point of no return in her mind? And I'd say that's where God does some of his best work. When we feel abandoned, when we feel no hope, when we feel like God has turned his back on us, that's where he does his best work. But it takes us, like this woman shows, taking a step in faith, seeing that God is doing more than what we can see and way beyond what we know. So here's a question for us, a question that I ask myself. Do I settle on what appears to be, or do I trust that God may be doing more than I can see? If I had a cool voice, I would deliver that differently, but do I settle on what appears to be, or do I trust that God may be doing more than I can see? And here's what I'm saying, right? This is not a prosperity, health, and wealth. Um, You know, I spent some time with some family this week, as most of us did on the 4th of July. My sister-in-law said she went to a church uh, where the the pastor said, if you give in pennies, you're blessed in pennies, and you give in 20s, you're blessed in 20s, right? Like, that's not really what I'm going for here, not that vain, but here's the deal. We're so wrapped up in what we can see that we miss out on what God might be working behind the scenes in our life. We say, God, this person is no longer in my life. They have left me. Are you ever going to bring them back? And we don't know that God might have a plan to bring them back. We say, God, I am so sick. I'm sick and tired of being sick. Are you going to give me healing? And we don't know if God's going to give us healing. But we get so discouraged in the moment. And for us, when we are in the middle of it, in the middle of whatever we feel like we are abandoned in, we lose hope. And God calls us to be people of faith who would look to him and trust that he's doing more than what we can see. Now, you are probably looking at me going, that is great, Daniel. He took care of this lady and some food. That's nice, but my problems are bigger, significantly bigger. I have no problem putting food on the table, meeting deadlines, uh, family troubles, you know, all those things are great. Got those tucked away in the corner. That's great. Does God have any more bandwidth for solving my problems? Because I feel like he has left me, like I'm abandoned. And here's what we see as the story continues. Now, after this, we don't know how long, but Elijah stayed. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, the widow, Uh, her son became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance 
and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him up from her arms, carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon my widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So this woman's son died, life taken away when things looked like they just turned around for her. Hey God, whoever you are, wherever you are, things don't look great for me. Get a little bit of provision. Hey, things are looking up. And then her son, the only one she had left, probably the one she loved the most, died. As if she didn't feel abandoned before. There she is, all alone, childless, spouseless, in a world where that meant that there was nothing for you. And this is where God intervenes. It's interesting that this woman would say, has my son died for my sin? It's an interesting question for us to ask, right? We wonder what the problem is in the world, right? Like what's wrong? If, If God is really there, And if God really cares, then why are things still bad? I mean, things are bad, right? I'm I'm not breaking news to you today to say things are bad. Like, it's just hard in the world. Your life is difficult. And it's because people are difficult. I have sin and you have sin. We have sin and the world has sin. And because there's sin and all of this, people are the problem. And that's what we see there, right? This woman acknowledges that the bad things happening in her life, in the world, man, they're they're on her in part because she's a part of the problem. But God has not abandoned her in that. He steps in and he brings back the very thing that she needed and loved the most and shows us that not even death is too much for him to intervene. That God's working powerfully in the world. I would say even today that he's doing miracles. And so many of us in this room could testify to God working powerfully in your life, even in the seasons where you feel like you've been abandoned the most. But here's what I want to say to us as we wrestle with this. God, have you abandoned me? Will you come through in the times when I feel abandoned? Let's look at this. God is present and he's in control even when we doubt he is or when we resent him for it. God's present and in control even when we doubt he is or when we resent him for it. 
Now look, I'm standing up here on the stage. I typed that. If anybody's getting a lightning bolt here, it's me for saying that they resent God. But that's how we feel sometimes, right? That this is God's universe. He sets the rules, the terms, and the agreements. And we're stuck to just kind of live in the middle. And that's frustrating for us sometimes to figure out where we fit in and why things are the way that they are. That's what hurts in our abandonment. We feel like God's not going to come through. But I'd say this, the the best analogy I could come up with is that of um, a pilot, right? I don't know very many pilots. A couple of summers ago, uh, I spent some time with a friend who lived in Denver, and his neighbor was a pilot. So we spent some time together, went over to this guy's house, and uh, he was telling me about really how terrifying it is for me now as a passenger in an airplane, knowing how little work pilots do when they fly airplanes. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not. If anybody's a pilot in the room, I'd, I'd love to hear you uh, like console me and tell me that it's going to be okay the next time I get in an airplane. But basically, this guy would tell me that you know they'd do some work on the takeoff, they'd get in the air, and um, just kind of push some buttons. And then he'd bring a book. I mean, this guy openly told me, knowing that I was going to have to fly back to Mississippi, that he would crack a book. And he'd just chill in the middle of his flight, just kind of check and make sure, you know, the other things were going on. There, you know, there are two people in the cockpit. Somebody's always paying attention. But that it's a pretty relaxing experience for them up in the air. Meanwhile, we're bouncing around like a bunch of pinballs in the back. Turbulence has little to no effect on them because they know, like, what's a problem and what's not a problem. And here's what I'd say to us, right? Sometimes in our life, we feel like the people bouncing around in the back in some turbulence. But God is much more equipped than a pilot to handle an airplane, right? This is his universe. He is well-equipped. He is in control of all things. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But we can feel like the plane is going down while God has brought others through much worse than what we're in and is faithful to get us to our final destination well. There are two uh, biblical accounts of something that happened in a city called Dothan. Not Dothan, Alabama, but the place that Dothan, Alabama is named for. Only two things happened there. Tiny little town, nothing really important. Uh, In Genesis 37, Joseph is sold into slavery there. And if you're familiar with the biblical account of Joseph, I'm not going to preach a sermon within my sermon, but here's how it goes. This guy, faithful to God, sold into slavery. When he's in slavery in Egypt, works his way to the top of the system that he's in, is falsely accused of something he did not do, thrown into prison, serves people really well in prison, is forgotten in prison, and then essentially rises to become uh, what's similar to probably the prime minister of Egypt today. Right? That's, that's the story of Joseph. Faithful working of God behind the scene through history to bring about something powerful. The second thing that happened in Dothan is not Elijah, but it's Elisha, his successor, in 2 Kings 6. And here's what happens. The king of Syria is coming after Elisha. He wants him dead. And Elisha prays for protection. And as these guys are rolling up to grab him, there's this scene, this vision that these guys see of horses and chariots of fire. And these guys turn around, they tuck tail, and they head back. So in one city, one town, one place, only two things happen. 
And we see the way that God works in the world. Sometimes we get a slow, delayed, sovereign response where God's working things, maybe not in the way that we would want him to, but the things that are the most good for us. And the other one, bam, instant. Miracle, healing, provision, saving, deliverance. And here's what I want to say. For all of us in the room, when we feel abandoned, maybe God is working something bigger than you know in your life. And he wants to do more than just give you what's a temporary gift or a temporary healing. And I say temporary, not to say that you'd have it and then it goes away. But that guy, the the son of the widow from Sidon, does anybody know him? Anybody met him? No, because he's dead. He's been dead for a long, long time. He came back to life and he died again. So what we have in our life, our afflictions, our frustrations, the things that we wish God would just take away immediately so that everything could be okay and it could all be better, he gives us those things to hold on to because he's working something bigger than what we can see. All relief here is temporary, but our salvation, our faith, our sanctification, the things he's working us towards, those endure forever. Backing up to verse 2, we see something happening to Elijah that gives us context for this. The word of the Lord came to him after he said, hey, it's not going to rain for a while. Depart from here and turn eastward. Hide yourself by the brook Sherith, which is east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went, and he did according to the word of the Lord. And he went, and he lived by the brook, Kareth, and that's east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. That's a sandwich. So he gets some divine sandwiches. And he drank from the brook, and after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. So here's what we see, right? Elijah delivers this word, And instead of God protecting him in a place where he could be protected, maybe like a castle or um, just kind of like pulling him up and like, you know, making him magically vanish to some place that Ahab couldn't get him. He says, hey man, look, you're going to go to the wilderness, um, the middle of nowhere, just the straight up desert, and I'm going to provide for you there. And here's the interesting thing, right? These biblical uh, places, they have names. I'm not going to be a nerd for you. I was a really bad student of Hebrew, um, but one of the flashcards that I remember is the word karath, which this... um, Cherith comes from, and it's to be cut down or to cut off. And that's what we see happen to Elijah here. That he was cut down and cut off. So when God is working something in our life that we don't want, when we feel abandoned, when we feel all alone, I mean, this guy was all alone in the desert for a long, long time, trusting that God would provide for him trusting that God would come through, that he wouldn't let him starve to death, that he wouldn't get eaten by weird, wild things in the middle of the night, depending on God daily in the midst of some terrible circumstances. We see God was pruning him, right? John 15 talks about us being pruned, right? That God would 
cut back and cut down things in our life that are bad for us and good for us. So we see we are pruned for our good. When God lets things endure in your life that you wish would rather just go away, and you feel abandoned, like he doesn't care, like he's not there, he's working something for your good. He's working something for your good. He makes us more like him in the things that we don't want to deal with. He makes us more like him in the times of loneliness, the times where we have to dig deep, the times where we have to operate in faith. It's for our good and his glory that he gives us these circumstances. A great quote by Tozer, it's doubtful that God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him very deeply. And no one's going to read that and go, yeah, sign me up. Ready to get hurt very deeply. But this life, this Christian life, it's not all up and to the right. It's self-denial, it's self-sacrifice, it's service. That's the way of Jesus. But in those things, we find deep purpose. Provision for today, hope for tomorrow. And in that pruning, we're pruned for our own good and for the good of others. We're pruned for the good of others. God's working things in your life, not just for you, but for other people. Think about the people around you with shared experiences, who've been through what you've been through, who share the sentiment that God has left them alone, that he doesn't care that he's not there. The things in your life are not just for you. They're for all of us. I'm done. Four things before we leave. I just said four. You're freaking out. Here we go. Because Jesus took the abandonment we deserve, we'll never be abandoned. This story is the first account of someone being resurrected from the dead. And it's a woman who literally says, has this, my son, died for my sins. And it's because God's son died for our sins that we know we'll never be abandoned. He took the abandonment on the cross that we deserve. Forsaken by God, took all of our sin so that we know that he's for us and not against us. When we feel abandoned, we feel like we're the only one but God's working our healing through community. And if you've got a, short, a story, share it. If you've been through it, share it. If you're in the middle of it, find someone and talk to them because I promise it's gonna bless them. That's just how God works. That's why we push groups here, why we want you to be in community. That's why we push service here because we want you to know people because God works powerfully in healing through community. God is the God who helps the weak. He sees the widow. He sees us in our desperation and our hard times. When we're hurt and lonely and we feel like he's not there and he doesn't care, he's near. He cares. In my mind, the most iconic story of being abandoned uh, involves these two people, if they're going to go up on the screen. Um, if they're not, it's not a big deal. Oh yeah, there we go. You're probably waiting for me to tell you a cool story about these people. Um, they're both characters in Home Alone. Uh, so that's the creepy guy with the shovel in Home Alone, and that's the pigeon lady. Uh, and if you know Home Alone, here's what happens, right? Somehow Macaulay Culkin keeps getting left. After the first one, I'll put him on a kid leash, make sure he never got away. 
But here's what happens. Somehow, out of his own uh, resourcefulness and the way that, you know, he's a quick wit, you know, Kevin McAllister, please take those people down, they're creeping me out. Um, Kevin McAllister, he works things out and he's all good. And at the very last minute, those two come in and they save the day. And here's what we feel like sometimes. We feel like God's like them sometimes. Like he's distant and he's kind of creepy and mystical, but he steps in and like, takes care of us at the last minute when when we just need the most help but like up until that point everything's okay and he's gonna like make sure that we're fine that is not how god works we have the holy spirit if we're his people god who dwells in us god who loves us who died for us we might feel alone but god's more present and more powerful than we realize James 5 says we have the same spirit as Elijah, the Holy Spirit, a man who prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. So in your life, what you're going through, your feelings of abandonment, your desperation, where you ask, God, will you come through? Are you there? Do you care? God's nearer than you know and more powerful to do a work in your life than you realize, whether it looks like the one you want to or not. He is working all things together for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for you. God, for this promise that you have not abandoned us. God, you've not forsaken us. Lord, you say in your word that if you've given us your own son, then how much more will you give us all things? God, so often we want things that you may not have for us. God, there is real hurt, real pain, real shame in a room like this. God, I'm the chief of all. Lord, I need you. God, we are so thankful for this word, that you are a God who provides, that you see us, God, instead of turning your back on us, you run to us. Lord, it's because of your death on the cross. Lord, that we know that you are once for all for us. So God, would you help us? Give us the strength, God, in the difficult things we face. God, the hard times. To know that you're near. To look to you for that strength. To look to you for that guidance. Holy Spirit, you are a comforter, a counselor, a helper, and a friend, a teacher. So God, would you teach us what it looks like to trust you in all things. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. If you guys would stand, we're going to worship the Lord together. Uh, It'd be an honor for us to pray for you this week. The altar is open. Let's pray together. Let's sing together.